How many of you guys still use your imagination? Be honest. Does anyone here ever sit around and think about, like, do you ever imagine things? Like, you're not so addicted to your iPad and your iPhone and your TV screen that, you know, where everyone does your imagining for you. Do you actually ever sit around and just imagine things? Okay, good. We've got some imaginative people. For the rest of you guys who, you know, your imagination died long ago, that's okay. I encourage you to watch that SpongeBob episode where they talk about imagination. That, that really will get it jump-started again. Um, but I still think about things. And I was walking the other day, and I thought about this. I want to share it with you. It's something I imagined, okay? So let's imagine you're walking, okay? Imagine you're walking with me through the woods, okay? And you're walking, and there's trees, and there's animals, and the sky is full of birds chirping. When all of a sudden you, you smell smoke, and you hear a rumbling, and then <laughs> there's an explosion, right in front of you. Fireballs are shooting everywhere. And you're like, what is going on? And then a white light appears from the flames of the explosion. And out of it steps a man. And he's dressed in strange robes. And he has a long beard. And he looks like he's from another dimension. Are you with me? Are you imagining this? Okay, you seeing it? Okay. Now, who's seen the Lego movie? Okay, so like in every movie like that, like they're making fun of Lord of the Rings and Hunger Games and Twilight and, and all these movies because basically in all those movies, Star Wars, they pick one person and they say, you are the most special person in the universe. It's all up to you. So that's what this guy does. This, this man with the beard steps out of the flames and he looks at you and says, you are the most important person in the universe. It's all up to you. There is war coming to this land and only you can save us. And you go, sweet. And then he hands you a magic ring. And he says, this is the ring of truth. And if you put on this ring of truth, you will be surrounded by a circle of truth, which shall never leave you as long as you wear the ring. And you're like, what does this circle of truth do? And he says, let me tell you. If you're inside the circle of truth, then things that would normally be false for you will be true for you. For instance, you can fly. No, I can't. That's false. If you're in the circle of truth, you can fly. That's true for you. Does that make sense? If you're in the circle of truth, you can shoot lasers out of your eyes. If you're in the circle of truth, you have super strength. So if you're in the circle of truth, things are really, really good for you because things that are normally false are true. So that's awesome. Who would use those powers? I would use them. I would keep that ring on. I would fly. In fact, I would handle situations that I would normally handle one way completely different. For instance, normally I try to get to work and there's traffic. But if I have the circle of truth around me, wherein if I'm wearing this circle of truth, it's true for me that I can fly, then I'll just fly to work. I'll run really fast, like the speed of light. Does that make sense? You'll handle situations differently with that circle of truth around you. Now, here's what I want to talk about, okay? I believe that God gives us his own circle of truth around us that completely surrounds us. And if we stay in it, then things for us that would normally be true for the world in one way are completely different for us. And I want to talk about some of those differences. And you know how we talked about a magic ring? Okay, now it's not a magic ring, but God did give us a ring in a sense. Look at what this verse says. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Jesus, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he had. So, God liked it, and he put a ring on it. He liked you, and he gave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, that's God's engagement ring to you. 
He gave you his spirit here on earth, and it's with you. And if you have that spirit, it's almost like you have superpowers. It's almost honestly like you have superpowers. I want to explain what some of these superpowers look like. It's the way we handle situations when we're surrounded by truth. So check this out. Let's look at what James chapter 5 says. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, I want to talk about something really real, which is suffering today. Let's look at some suffering, okay? Here's some suffering. Brianne Anise Garza says, I hate school because you would think a two-page journal entry isn't much, but when it's single-spaced, it takes forever. That is some serious suffering right there. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's some painful stuff. Let's look at some more suffering. I hate school because there are so many assignments, projects, quizzes, and other things like that. It's so hard. Here's another one. I hate school because we have to wake up early. Mediocre face. I don't know what that is. Tired face. Something. Suffering. I hate school because whenever I raise my hand and actually know the answer, the teacher will look directly at me and then call on someone else. Does anyone feel that pain? Have you been suffering lately? Has that been a suffering thing for you? Here's the last one. I hate school because there is no subject Justin Bieber. Would you take that class? Yeah, I know you would. All right, you'd be all about it. Okay, so obviously this is not real suffering. The stuff we go through in school compared to other things is not as bad. And I could sit up here and I could tell you guys, you guys don't suffer because you're not Africans. But I believe that all of us, like, you know, like poor, starving African children, there's always going to be someone who's worse off than us. But I really do believe that no matter who you are, there's always going to be some sort of suffering in your Christian life. And maybe some of you guys have been through real, actual suffering. I believe some of you guys may be here and you've been through a divorce in your family's life. And that was suffering too. Two of them, that's, that's a, there's a lot of suffering and pain that goes through something like that. Some of you guys may be struggling or have struggled in the past with depression. And there is so much suffering that comes with that feeling of sadness where you don't know where it comes from or how to explain it or how to deal with it. There's a lot of suffering. Some of you guys may have been victims of bullying, just people picking on you mercilessly at school, making fun of you, calling you names, teasing you to the point where all you can really do is cry about it. That's real suffering. Some of you guys are so afraid, perhaps, of rejection. Maybe you walk around the school halls thinking, I hope people like me. I hope people accept me. I hope people be my friend. And you're just crippled by that fear of rejection. That is real, actual human suffering. And some of you guys maybe even are facing persecution. Maybe you're standing up for Jesus. Maybe you're trying to live a Christian life. But whether it's your family or your school, you're facing rejection and persecution from people who don't love Jesus the way you do. And I really do believe that that is real human suffering. And Jesus looks at whatever you're going through. Maybe I didn't list it, but fill in the blank. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever keeps you up at night, whatever causes you to doubt, whatever you wrestle with in your heart, whatever you suffer with, God cares. But what do we do? The human response. What's the human response? If someone comes up and they slaps you, they slaps you. (laughs) If someone comes up and they slap you, you say, ouch, you respond. Someone hits you and you go, ouch. That's the human response. It hurts. This suffering is uncomfortable. What we do, what I do, is I complain, I whine, I despair, and maybe sometimes we even give up. But here's the thing I want to 
I want to open your guys' mind up too, okay? We're talking about this circle of truth. Remember, remember you have superpowers? Remember it's the magic ring and surrounded by it you can fly and you can do incredible things? Use your imagination with me, okay? So let's say that there's a villain, okay? We'll call him Rock Man because he chucks giant rocks at people. That's his power. I don't know if he creates the rocks or if he strums a magical guitar and he's like rock and roll and it makes giant, I don't know. That's his thing. He's a rock guy and he chucks a rock at you. Now, normally, if you're not wearing that ring, if you don't have that circle of truth around you, then your truth is you get smashed if a rock hits you. But if you're wearing that ring and if that circle of truth is around you, then it's true for you that you have super strength. And while that rock may hit you in the face and it might sting and hurt and cut and bruise, it will not destroy you. Check out this verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 10. This is an amazing verse for any believer to really take to heart no matter what you're going through. It says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Now listen, this is incredible. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Sometimes life can feel like, have you guys ever seen that scene in Star Wars where they get trapped in that garbage disposal and the walls start closing in? Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, they're down there and the walls are closing in on every side and it's going to crush them. Sometimes that's what life feels like. It feels like on one side, my parents are not getting along and they're just mad at me. On the other side, my friends are angry at me and we're not getting along. There's drama. On the other side, my grades are not doing so well. And then on the other side, I've got my own sins that are causing me to fall away from God. And you feel like all these things, these walls are crushing in and pressing in. But listen, that may be true for someone who doesn't have the hope of Jesus. But because you have the hope of Jesus, what's true for you is you will be pressed but you will not be crushed. You'll be perplexed. You'll be confused at times, but you won't have despair because you have hope. You're going to heaven one day. You're going to be with Jesus one day. All your sins and all your tears will be wiped away one day is the promise that we have from the Lord. Persecuted, but not abandoned. You'll have people attack you, You'll have people who come against you in this world. You'll have people who sin against you, but you will never be abandoned by the love of Jesus. We're struck down by the enemy at times. Satan knocks us down, but we're never destroyed. And Jesus says, hey, just get back up and keep walking. So what do we do? Let's go back to James 5.13. If we're not to be destroyed by suffering, which we're not because we have superpowers, remember? I really mean that. The things that God gives us are really supernatural powers that we have against the enemy. So we're suffering. The worldly response is, I'm going to freak out and get really upset and just give up all hope. Or we can pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, why would I pray? Well, when I try to make cookies, I'm terrible. I make the worst cookies ever. They are just... Just, they are crimes against humanity. I should go to jail. I wouldn't feed these cookies to a dog or a squirrel with rabies. I wouldn't feed these cookies. Like, they're, one time I used sugar, or I used salt instead of sugar, and it was just the nastiest, just most disgusting cookie ever. And, and, and I try to make them all tall and gooey, and, and they just end up just being flat, just like flat pieces of salty cardboard. It's, it's really terrible. 
So when I try to make a cookie on my own, it, that's, that's what happens. But when I call a higher power, my wife, and I call my wife and I say, Brooklyn, I pray that you would grace me with some cookies. And she goes in and she whips out the most amazing, fluffy, light, gooey, the kind where it's got that, that, that coat of amazing outside cookie shell, but the inside still has a little doughy substance to it where you just take a bite and the chocolate melts in your mouth. It is amazing, the cookies that she makes, because she knows what she's doing. And the same thing, we try to go through our life and try to deal with our problems on our own, but when we're suffering, we need to pray. Because God knows what he's doing in the kitchen of life. God knows how to take care of our problems. We need to rely on God and talk to him. Because remember, you're surrounded by truth. You've got this circle of truth around you. So if you're outside of that circle, what you believe is the lies of the enemy, which is, I'm hopeless. My problems are terrible. Nothing can help me with my problems. But if you're inside truth, then you know something. You know that God loves you. You know that God cares about you. You know that God cares if a baby sparrow falls out of a tree and hits his head. So how much more does God care about you? You know what the Bible tells you about God's love for you. And that changes everything about the way we handle situations. Now, what does it say here? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Sometimes things go good. Sometimes things go well. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I can be prideful when things are going well. I can think that it's because of me being great. I can have my own theme song playing in my head at times, and I can think when I walk into a room like a sitcom, you know, the claps start happening and people start cheering because, oh, he's, he's awesome, when things are going good, when no one's mad at you, when you haven't let anyone down, when that grade comes in, when you score the touchdown, when that boy or girl actually likes you back, things like that that can just put us on cloud nine because we're doing so well, a lot of times we can be prideful. We can take credit for our own perceived greatness. But the Bible tells us that pride comes before a fall. The Bible says, let no man think he stands tall because he's probably going to fall. For me, in a simple way this happened was I thought I was awesome at a game called Super Smash Brothers. I thought I was great. Some of you guys are like, no, we beat you every time, Aaron. But there was a time where I was like, I'm doing really good, and I was playing it every day in my office. I was trying to play it in my office every day. I was learning skills. I was mastering the Black Mage, which was a great character. So Trent Barger, I meet this kid named Trent Barger, and he challenges me to a duel. And he's like, he's like, I will beat you. I was like, no, you won't. So I play with him. What I found out about Trent was Trent had spent hours studying every single character writing out on paper his own move list and strategies. Trent has a book where literally it's like, if I'm playing against this character, this is the strategy I take to beat. He's hardcore. So yeah, he, he, wiped, he wiped the floor with me. He, he cleaned me up. He knew what he was doing. He even had like different people's names. Like if I'm playing against Justin, no, I'm just kidding. That'd be weird. <laughs> if I'm playing against Justin, <laughs> this is what I do. So he destroyed me. My pride came before a fall. Now, here's the thing. If we're inside that circle of truth, if we're inside that circle of truth where we understand the truth of God, then we have to understand the truth is no good gift comes from us. Nothing good comes from us. I have to look at myself and go, no ability that I have, no strength that I have, no skill that I have comes from me. I can't take credit for anything. And maybe some of you guys here, you might take pride. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's like, I look good and I know I look good. But you can't take credit for that. God made you that way. 
Maybe you're athletic, and it's like, I am awesome at running a ball on a field. Yes! I don't even know how that works. I grabbed the puck, and I scored a touchdown slam dunk. What? (laughs) I obviously never played sports. But whatever it is, fill in the blank, musical ability, artistic ability, sometimes we can take credit because what the world teaches us is you are special, and you are amazing, and feel good about yourself But what I realize is there's times where I felt so good about my ability to like make a funny movie and make people laugh or get up and talk in front of people or or something. You know, I've I've spoken before in front of like hundreds of kids at camps and I've had them clap and I've had kids come up to me afterwards like, thank you so much for that message. And you know what starts to happen in my heart is when that happens, I start thinking like, yeah, I am pretty good at talking. And then I get home to the church here and I talk to you guys and I tell jokes and no one laughs and it's like, Maybe it's not me, maybe it's God. Maybe God is the one who gives me any ability and any grace to get up and say anything to anyone. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing, and it's all God. And all glory needs to go to him. All good gifts come from God. We need to give him credit. I saw this months ago, and I've been waiting for the right opportunity to show you guys. Here's the thing that came to me when I was watching this, okay? A lot of times, I think, when it comes to worship, we are much more like the cat in the video than we are like the dog. Do you know what I mean? Like that dog didn't care about what it looked like to anyone. It didn't care about looking cool. That dog was literally like tripping over itself to get to its master, like falling all over the place, slobbering all over its master, just happy to be with his master, just just happy to literally worship. The dog was like worshiping, like you're my hero, you're home, I love you. Like that dog was so in love with his master, but a lot of times we're more like the cat. You know, the worship band comes out and we're just like, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Live for you alone. That's what we do. Seriously, a lot of times we're just, we're, 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 we're caring about like, what is, are people looking at me? Are they listening to my voice? I'm not super confident about my voice yet. So I'm just going to sing really quiet and like, I'm not going to stand because I don't want to look super spiritual. I'll stand if he stands, but not, you know, I'm not going to be the first one to stand up. You know? And we're so aware of what other people are, are thinking of us and perceiving us when we're sitting there in worship. And I just want to encourage you guys, God is worthy to be praised. He loves us. He died for us. He created for us. And you were created to worship him. And I think a lot of times we don't do a good job of what we were created to do, especially in church. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about even more is do you guys ever compartmentalize your Christian life? What I mean is, like, do you ever put different parts of your Christian life into different boxes? Like, okay, Christian life, uh, trying to be a good person, that's a box. Read my Bible, that's a box. Going to church, that's a box. Worship, singing songs, that's a box. I got to check off all the boxes. I am a good Christian. Yes, I have achieved it. That's totally like a man-made way of thinking of it. Here's the thing. This is, this is something that the Lord was showing me. Is my whole life should just be one big act of worship. And do we think of it that way? Do we think of, you know, like let's say you're at home and your parents tell you to do something. Do you, have you ever stopped to think, Jesus, this is an opportunity for me to get closer to you by obeying my parents. That's a hard one to think. When we show up to church, do we think, all right, this is the time the guy's going to talk to me. I hope he says something funny. Or do you think, 
Jesus wants to talk to me right now. And he's using this moron, but Jesus wants to, I'm the, I'm the moron, I'm not saying you. I'm saying Jesus wants to talk to me right now, and he's using a pastor to speak through him to me. I want to hear from Jesus. Do we ever, have you ever sat in church and acted like Jesus was sitting across the room talking to you? Like you were sitting there actually hearing from him. What about worship? When the songs come on, do you think, oh, it's time for us to sing because it's singing time because that's what we do? Or do you think, Jesus is so awesome and I love him and now I get to sing to him and tell him how much. And Jesus, I want to sing to you right now. I want to praise you. Is that our heart? And if our mind stays in a mindset of worship, if we're constantly thinking about Jesus and how our whole life is worship to him, everything we do is worship, that's the truth. Now, let's keep going, okay? Check this out. In James 5.14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. People get sick, okay? That's a reality. People get sick. How many of you guys have dealt with relatives getting very, very sick? Yeah? Anybody? Okay. Are any of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand if you're not comfortable, have any of you guys been through actually any deaths of people that you know and love through sickness? Okay. Some of you guys here. All right. So that is very hard, and that is very challenging. I personally have had a couple relatives, including my grandpa, Ron, who died in the hospital from lung cancer, from smoking. And that was very challenging, and that was very hard for me. And I think if we're outside of that circle of truth, the way the world normally deals with it is panic, losing hope, and despair. Just someone I love is gone forever. Someone I love is sick. Someone I love is dying. My whole world is over. But if we're inside that circle, then our truth is something much different. Our truth, it starts with faith. Faith that God can heal anyone. Faith that God has the power to heal anyone. Faith that God has the desire to ultimately heal everyone. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But what this verse is talking about is saying, if you have faith, if someone is sick, if you are sick, faith means asking for help, calling together people to pray for you, friends, counselors, pastors, whatever, people who love Jesus, to come and put their hands on you and to pray for you. Now, I don't want to skip over things. I think it's important to explain what the scriptures mean. So it's talking about anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. You might think, what is that? I'm just going to take a little moment to explain anointing with oil, okay? People do this. We have pastors at the church here, and they carry around little oil containers, and they will, when they pray for someone, they will dab some oil and put it on their head. I think back in the day when you anointed someone with oil, you like dumped an entire jar of oil on their head. So I'm glad they don't do that anymore because we'd all have greasy hair all the time. Um, but you're like, you might be thinking, like, maybe like I thought when I was younger, like, why do they even do that? Like, that's weird. Like, why do pastors carry on oil and, like, put it on people's head? Like, what is, was that, like, just, that's, like, really spiritual? Or, like, what is that? It's really just, like, baptism. Like, does going underneath the water save you? Is that what saves you? No, your faith in Jesus is what saves you. But when you get baptized, what you're doing is it's, it's an outward showing. It's showing on the outside what's happening on the inside. And you're telling everyone around you, I'm going under the water. And this water represents the spirit of God wash, washing away my sins and making me new. And I want to show everyone that's going on. So that's baptism. So when you pray and someone anoints you with oil, I've got a little oil container. I use it sometimes when I pray for people. 
When you pray for someone, you put a little dab of oil on their head. Basically, all that's saying is, I'm showing everyone around here that we're praying for this person, and this oil represents the Holy Spirit. So when we put this oil on someone, it's showing that this isn't us. We don't have magical healing powers. This oil isn't magical, but we're showing people that we trust in the Spirit. This is a mark of someone who trusts in the Spirit. The oil represents the Holy Spirit on this person. It's just an outside showing of something that's happening on the inside, which I think is great. But here's the thing. We're talking about sick people. Let's go back to that, okay? Because I think this is really important. James 5.15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Look at that. Look at the words. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, some of you guys might listen to this, and you might think, prayer of faith? Well, to the world, that's nonsense. A prayer of faith? It's all about the science and the medicine of it. Well, who created the science? Who allowed for the medicine to be created? It was God. There's definitely a spiritual nature to it. But here's the thing. We can look at the people who are sick around us, and we can think, how would it be possible for them to be healed? How would that even be physically possible? Well, I want to tell you guys that with God, all things are possible. And I really do mean that. Do you guys know who Chuck Smith is? He's the guy who started Calvary Chapel. He's this big, bald man who started telling hippies about Jesus in the 60s. That's where we came from. That's our history of Calvary Chapel is it started in the 60s with a bunch of hippies. And now here we are. And if Chuck Smith had never done that, then we'd probably all be going to church somewhere else. And some of you guys wouldn't even be born because your parents wouldn't have been met at church. So it's awesome. There's a history there. I'd love to talk about it more. But here's the thing. Chuck Smith just died recently, just went to be with Jesus. There was a time where he was in church, an old, they call him Papa Chuck. And he's sitting there and he's teaching the Bible, saying afterwards, a man pushes his father up to Chuck in a wheelchair. And the man's father is sick with a really bad cold. So he goes up to Chuck and he says, this is a true story. He goes up to Chuck and he says, Chuck, will you pray for my father to heal him? And Chuck, before he could even finish, because he was going to say, my father has a cold, Chuck put his hand on him and said, Lord, I pray for this young man that you would heal him. And he grabbed his hand and he pulled the guy up and the guy started walking out of his wheelchair. He'd been crippled and now he's walking. This is something that I believe in with all my heart is real. It's biblical. Jesus would heal people at times from things like being crippled, from things like being blind. I have missionaries who have been to India who have, through Jesus, healed blind people. And they've come back and told me these stories, and I believe them. But here's the thing. What if those prayers aren't answered? What if you pray for someone to get better and they don't? What if you pray for someone to be healed and they don't get up out of that wheelchair? What if you pray for someone to be healed and they die? What if that happens? The worldly response and the natural human response is to be angry with God, especially if you put faith in him. God, you said, the verse said, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. So why did my grandpa die? Why did my relative pass away? Why did my friend die? These are hard questions to answer, but we're going to answer them. But first, before I talk about it, I want to show you guys someone who's been through some real suffering. This is a pastor, a guy I look up to. His name's Levi. And Pastor Levi went through a really hard thing in his life. And it was right before Christmas. And he was supposed to get up and tell people about Jesus. And after this hard thing happened, he could have just stayed home. 
But he decided, I'm going to go up and tell people about Jesus and give them hope, even though something was taken away from me. I'm going to let you guys listen to him tell the story. turn it up a little bit. Merry Christmas. I want to welcome you to Fresh Life Christmas, an event that we have been praying for and believing God for great things. Um, we've fasted, we've prayed, and we've sought God. Uh, to move in power in this wonderful season of celebration of Christ coming to this world. And, um, you know, no one could have ever prepared us for what this would truly be like, this outreach this, this week. And um, if you're a guest in this house, we, we, we welcome you and we honor you. We're so glad to have you here. Um, um, You know, the, the unimaginable has happened in our, in our house. Um, our, fav, um, our favor from God has never been nearer, and yet the pain that we've experienced on this earth has never been more intense as we have um, seen God take our, our daughter, Linya Avery, to heaven this past week. And she is alive at this moment, more alive than she's ever been. She's on a distant shore with Christ, who is still on his throne. And we celebrate her, and we love her, and um, we miss her fiercely. But we love God and trust him, and we trust his plan, and we believe that he does all things well. We believe that everything is made perfect in its time. And I'm here to speak in the midst of suffering, in the midst of mourning, in the midst of pain and confusion and tears and, and frustration that is physical and emotional and spiritual and having hurt in places as a family that you never knew you could hurt. But I'm here because Jesus is alive and he came to this world. And I want to tell somebody that this very evening. And my little girl, my little Linya Lion, I want you to know something. She prayed for you. She prayed for this outreach. She prayed for you in Billings. She prayed for you in Whitefish. She prayed for you in Callus Belt. When we opened up her purse, the, the, the one of many purses that she carried around, the last three days, she had one purse that she had with her before she, she died, and in that purse, we found an invite to Fresh Life Christmas, and we found her little Bible. Those were two of the items in her purse, and she prayed many times for this outreach. She prayed for God to fill these venues, for God to bring people to know him, that God would hold me with his Holy Spirit, and we trust even now as we preach that he is holding her, and I believe that, and... 
It is in Linya's honor that I'm here to preach because she would have nothing other than that. Um, from the moment I said goodbye to her or see you, see you soon, as she went to be with the Lord in my arms, I knew that she would have me preach because before I preached, every time I preached, my girls, all four of them, they would pray for me as the three on this earth did tonight and then they would give me knuckles and they would tell me, preach the word, Dad. She would always pray for me. Linya had a tender prayer life and precious prayers. And so because Linya from heaven, if she could, would speak to me, she would tell me, preach the word, Dad. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach God's word. And I'm going to celebrate Christmas with every single one of you. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you're here. No matter what's going on in your life, God has something special for you. And so if you would, um, if you have a Bible, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. John chapter 1. Okay, so this guy, just this guy means a lot to me. He's one of the pastors I listen to all the time. Brooklyn and I listen to him at home. Um, we have friends who know him and are connected to him. And I remember the day I was at work and someone told me Pastor Levi's daughter died. It was in December last year. And, you know, no one expected this guy to go and tell people about Jesus when something so bad had just happened in his life. But I think it is incredible that he did because he understood something that the world doesn't. He's in that circle of truth, and he understands that if he's in the truth, then there is no death, that nothing can separate us from God and his love, not death. And so he knew his daughter was with Jesus, he knew his daughter had passed on into the next life. And, and I remember even hearing the story of how doctors and nurses in the hospital had gotten saved because this little girl could not stop talking about Jesus. And I think that is so cool because that girl understood the truth. Little Lania, she understood the truth that it's not about this life. It's about the next life. It's about people needing to hear about Jesus. Now, here's the thing, and I, I want to I address this, okay? It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, now listen. There are times where you're going to pray for somebody, and that prayer of faith will save that sick person. And the Lord will raise them up out of their bed, and they're going to get out of their bed and walk around and be okay. But there's going to be times where that doesn't happen. There's going to be times where someone doesn't get better. There's going to be times where someone does die. But the way we deal with this is we look at what this says. The prayer of faith will save the sick. You see, we're all sick with something called sin. It's a disease inside us, and it kills us, and it separates us from God. But the prayer of faith will save the sick. Jesus says that he is the great doctor, the great physician, and his death for us is what caused us to be able to be free from that disease and free from sin. So when you give that prayer of faith to God and you say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Do you remember when you did that, when you gave your life to Jesus and you prayed and you asked God to forgive you? That prayer of faith will save your sick heart and the sick heart of the person you're praying for. If they give their life to Jesus, the prayer of faith will save the sick and God will raise them up because even if they die, death can't keep them down. They will be raised up and go to heaven with Jesus. 
And that is incredible. And so I can take confidence in this verse that the prayer of faith will at times heal a sick person, but more importantly, it'll heal their soul. Because if the body dies, that's just the body, but the soul is what lives forever. Through Jesus, we have healing. Through Jesus, we have restoration. Through Jesus, we never die. And look at that. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That prayer of faith, putting your trust in Jesus, is what separates your sins from you. When normally your sin would keep you separated from God, your faith, your simple faith in Jesus is what keeps you free from that sin. You will still sin, but you are no longer in chains. You're free. You're no longer held by your sin. You'll still mess up. You'll still fall down. But you have a loving Father Jesus who picks you up every time you fall down. Now listen, in verse 16, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Telling people your problems, confessing your sins to the world outside of that circle of truth, that's shameful. That brings guilt to tell someone what I've done that's wrong. No, I've got to sweep that under the rug. I've got to hide it. I've got to bury it for as long as possible. But inside that truth, you understand that sin is chains. It does hold us back. Maybe some of you guys are here today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but maybe you're doing something that you know isn't right. You're doing something that you know your parents would be bummed out about. You know that God would be bummed out about. And you're keeping it secret and you're hiding it from everybody. Listen, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Remember, sin is a sickness. And sometimes, even though we've been healed from Jesus and forgiven, sin can creep back into our life, and it can start chipping away at the stuff God wants to do. And it can be hidden deep in our heart. Listen, tell somebody. Tell a friend. Tell a parent. Tell a counselor. I've been doing this for almost nine years, and I've never heard anything from a kid that made me go, you terrible sinner, I judge you. Never. I've heard some crazy things. I've heard stuff about drugs. I've I've heard kids getting pregnant. I've, I've heard really, really like crazy things. But you know what? Whenever I hear something like that, I need to pray for them that they will be healed. That's why we come to one another. Don't come, to, if, you, if there's someone that you know is gonna judge you, don't go to them because they're not mature. But if it's someone who loves Jesus, then you can tell them what's going on. You can ask them, pray for me. Hold me accountable. Help me like lift this weight. That's what God does with us. He uses us to help one another. Don't try to go through your Christian life alone as a lone ranger, but instead ask for help. In James 15, 17 through 18, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. You might be thinking, that's a random verse to throw into this James chapter 5. Why is he going back to Elijah? Look what it says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a prophet, but you know where that power came from? It wasn't because he was like the special Christian kid who checked off the Christian checklists. He was a normal guy with a nature like yours. He was a sinful guy. He messed up. He had problems. He made mistakes. But he realized inside that circle of truth where his power came from, it wasn't from him. That's why when there was rain that needed to come, when there was famine and no one could 
could raise their crops. He prayed, and he's like, I'm going to tell God the problem. I'm going to rely on God when no one else in the entire nation is doing it. I'm going to go to God and say, this is the problem. We need your help, and I'm going to pray earnestly. That means he didn't give up. He didn't just pray once and go, hey, God, I hope it would rain, and then it didn't rain. He's like, well, I guess that's not happening. He prayed for days and months, and God says, says it did not rain for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. He was praying. He was praying. We need to pray. Now, here's the last thing I want to finish with. I'm finishing up James, okay? This is the end of James. And if I could summarize James, live it out in just one thing, it's something that God showed me the other day. See, last week I was talking about patience, and the name of the study was, what are you waiting for? And it was kind of like, you know, what are you waiting for to serve Jesus? What are you waiting for to follow Jesus? What's holding you back? Well, another question I want to ask is, what is he waiting for? I want you guys to think about that. What is he waiting for? That's your bonus takeaway topic. What is he waiting for? The other day, I was trying to steady. I was running around. It was last week. And I was trying to find a spot to steady. Coffee shops were closed down. Things were closed down because of the rain. Things weren't open. And I was bummed. I was impatient. I spent like two hours looking for a place to study. I felt like I wasted a ton of time. I was getting impatient. I was getting aggravated. And I was down in Carlsbad, and I saw the water. And it was high tide, and the waves were rolling in. And I felt God speak to me in my heart, and I felt his presence. And he said, Aaron, come be with me. I was like, well, I have to study, God. I got to teach people. And he's like, just, just come be with me. I was like, well, I, don't, I, I can't take my computer out there because it might rain. I get, my computer will get wet. God was like, just forget your computer, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, and just go sit with me. So I went down, and I sat down on a rock, and I just looked out at the water, and I just spent time with Jesus. And I was so blessed. He spoke to me in such deep ways. And, and it was just simple time with him. And really, that's what he's looking for. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for us to take the time out of our busy day to come to him and not make it a chore. Not like, oh, I got to do my Christian checklist thing. Oh, it's devotion time. Oh, okay, Jesus, I'm going to read. Sometimes we do that, and then we read the Bible, and if, if God didn't show us some mind-blowing new thing, we walk away from that thinking like, oh, I failed at devotions. But when you have a friend, and that friend wants to spend time with you, are they like, Time for the checklist. You, you must spend time with me if you're going to stay my friend. If you want to still be my friend, you got to do it this day and this day and this day for this amount of time. And then you, do you ever spend time with your friend? And then if, like, you didn't learn some amazing new thing about them or some, like, deep thing or you didn't have some emotional moment where you started crying with your friend, do you walk away from that experience and think, I'm a bad friend. Our friendship is terrible. No. You're going to have those moments at times. Jesus just wants to hang out with you. You're going to have great times. The more, if you spend more and more time with Jesus, you're going to have those emotional moments. You're going to have those great conversations. But Jesus wants to be your friend, and he is waiting for you to sit down and start as a junior hire consistently spending time with him, making him a part of your life. He is waiting. He is waiting. That's why he died. Not just to save you, but to be friends with you. See, before you were even born, God was love, and God is love. And he decided, I want to create a family so I can be with them. But so often, we get saved, and then it's like, all right, see you in heaven. And Jesus wants to be with us here. He wants to teach us things here. 
I saw the ocean, and as it was coming in, the tide was coming in really high, and it, it came right up to where I was sitting. I'd never seen the tide that high. It went, covered the entire beach, came up to the rocks where I was sitting, and almost got me. And I was sitting there like, maybe I should move from these rocks. I don't want to get wet. And I realized God's the one who holds the tide back. God's the one who keeps the tide from flooding the earth. God's the one who doesn't destroy the earth like he did in the days of Noah. God's the one who holds that back. That's all in his hand. He's the one who's holding it, and he pushes the tide in, and he pulls it back, but it's all in his hand, and he could destroy this planet anytime he wants. And when I think of the rapture, when God is coming back, he's the one who's holding that tide back. You know, God's going to pour his wrath out on the world. God's going to destroy the world again for its sins. That's what the rapture and the tribulation, all that stuff's going to be. But God is waiting. What's he waiting for? What, what is he waiting for? He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to have a relationship with him. He's waiting for you to know him better. He's waiting for you to get so passionate about him that you cannot help but tell other people because people need to get saved. And he's waiting. Now, I want you guys to think about this. This is the last thing I want you to think about, okay? I want you to imagine. Right now, okay, let's do something fun, okay? Think about, really quick, just in your head, just think about that person that you were just so madly in love with. Every single one of you, your biggest crush, just psh, right there. And there they are, and they're wearing a nice dress or like a tuxedo, and they're like, hey there. Or whatever you want them, like, I don't know, tuxedos, I don't know if you like those. But, you know, they're wearing something cute, you know, and they're like, they're super cute. They're like, hey, I'm here. Okay, so you're thinking about them, right? Okay, now imagine you go down the stairs, and they're standing in your living room. And you're like, what? And they go, I love you. And, they, and the music's playing, and you're like, because oh. like, some of you guys, I mean, you, you, you want that, because this person, you know for a fact they don't love you. <laughs> I, that, that was me. Uh, she did not love me back. Uh, I was obsessed with her, but she liked other guys. So imagine that person is there, and they're like, I love you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we got to run away together. What will our parents think? Well, then your parents show up, and their parents show up, and they're like, yeah, we talked about it. You guys are getting married. It's going to be awesome. Like, it's set in stone. You guys can just be in love. But we're in junior high. I don't care. Go date. Go do whatever you want. Here's the car keys. You can just go and do. Like, like your, your mind would be, like, exploding. You'd be like, this is so amazing. Amazing. And you're engaged to this person now, this person that you love, this person you've been waiting for, this person who's loved you for so long. Now imagine that you were given this golden opportunity and you said, I'm going to go over here and not hang out with you. And I'll, I'll check in like maybe twice a week for like an hour to see how you're doing, but I'm not going to spend any time with you. Okay, think about it. that person you love, the person you're obsessed with right now you would want to spend that time. You would want to be with them. You would want to get to know them. You would take advantage of that opportunity. If your parents gave you the keys and they said it's golden and it's all set to go, you would spend that time with that person. Now listen, Jesus is obsessed with you and he loves you. And some of you guys don't realize it, but you were created to love him. And if you choose to love him, you will find a more enjoyable and more satisfying relationship than any relationship on earth can ever give you. And you've been given that engagement ring, which is the Holy Spirit. You've been given that promise that one day you will be with Jesus. But we say, sorry, God, I've got stuff to do. Um, I'll see you Sunday. I'll see you Wednesday. Bye. 
And we miss that opportunity to get to know the person we were created for. Our heart was created for God. Our heart was created for a relationship with God. I want to encourage you guys, spend the time. If you really want to live it out, you can't do it unless you first spend time with Jesus. You can't just come here and hear these words. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, my words are just going to fall flat and go right through you. But if you have the Spirit, then you'll realize the words we talk about here are the words of life. And Jesus wants you to be with him and hear his words. He wants you to sit down with him and tell him how your day is going and ask him for help and praise him for the good things and praise him for the bad things. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. Don't miss out on that. Live it out. Because here's the thing. The life of Christ isn't just you living. It's Jesus living through you. And I love you guys so much. You're my favorite people in the world. I get up in the morning and I think about you guys. I, this is how I spend my weekends. I spend all Saturday, every Saturday, just studying the Bible, trying to figure out what does God want to say to you guys. And I do it because I love you guys and I want you to hear from God. So please listen to what he has to say. I can absolutely say with all my heart that I know that God is speaking right now when I say that God wants to be with you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. Hear him. Listen to that. He loves you. It's not a guilt trip. It's not a you have to do this every day at this time, but he just wants to be with you. Just like you want to be with that person in your head, God feels a hundred times more about you in that way. So love him, follow him, serve him, and just be with him. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you would teach us to be with you. We're sinners. We mess up. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. Sometimes we're disrespectful. Sometimes we're forgetful. Sometimes we're downright sinful on purpose. And you still love us and you still care for us. God, I pray that we would keep that circle of truth around us. We remember that we don't have to live the way the world lives. When suffering comes, we don't have to respond to it the way the world responds. But Jesus, we can follow you and know the truth, that you love us, that you died for us, that suffering and death can't keep us down. And when times are good, we give the glory to you. And when times are bad, we give the glory to you because we know that in the end, it will all be good in heaven with you forever. And Jesus, you've given us an opportunity to experience heaven on earth through our relationship with you. You've given us a direct connection. And I pray that, Jesus, we would take more time to get into our closets at home or to go in our backyard or to just go somewhere and be alone with you that we wouldn't care about not being cool. If it's sitting at the lunch table at a public school and opening up our Bible, I pray we do that. If it's turning off the TV and the computer at home and just going out in the grass in the front yard and spending time with you, I pray that we would get alone with you and that we do it regularly and that we would spend that time as a friend with you, being with you. I pray for these kids, you'd help them to do that, help them to walk with you, help them to live out their faith. I pray it wouldn't just be a sitting in church thing, but it would be a, a living act of worship. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name, amen.